You are listening to the Converge Media Network, uplifting our voices. Loyalty's my favorite characteristic of God, but finding it in it is hard. It's like trying to find God. You're the only one in your camp with cheese. You pay for everything they eat. Man, that insecurity is deep. Now I ain't said no names. These are just theories if you hear me, baby. It's home. You must admit it's kind of eerie, baby. Like them chemtrails in the sky. Grand Rising, everybody. Welcome to the day with Trey. I'm your host, Trey Holiday, and we got a great Wednesday for you. I'm going to call it Wise Wednesday because we're going to be hearing some great words today. Of course, Brian Callanan is in the building. We're going to be hearing all about tonight's topics on Seattle News, Views, and Brews. And we also got Anthony Austin in the building. I get to learn more about the mission of Southeast Youth and Family. So I'm excited to be here with all of these amazing folks in the building, of course, bringing us amazing inspiration for y'all to be fed on this morning. But it is the top of the show right now. So it's a perfect time to tag and share the stream right here. That's right. Go ahead, tag and share the stream with folks you feel could benefit from a daily dose of dopeness right here on The Day with Trey. If you cannot watch us, we do have you covered because you can listen to us anywhere you find your favorite podcast. Just search Converge Media Network in the day with Trey. Y'all will find me on Google, Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, Apple Music, whichever one is your favorite, you name it. Search for us and y'all will find us there. Of course, I got to dig in because, you know, every time Brian's here, we could go on and on. So what's up, Brian? How is it? How, uh, you, how, how is it going? How are you doing? It, it is going well, Trey. It's uh, it's busy time right now with the legislature you're just wrapping up and I'm yeah. well, how are you doing? I'm doing good. I was trying to follow some bills, man. Yeah. It's a lot of information yeah. for folks to get into. Yeah. Tell us what the, you know, what kind of topics y'all are going to be covering. Cause I know y'all are a trusted source. People want to know what's going on out there. Appreciate that. Yeah. We're talking a little bit about the end of the legislative session, which was this past Sunday here. This is the legislative session down at Olympia. And there's a great headline in the Seattle times today from Danny Westneat. You had one job, legislators, and you couldn't do it. So the deal is we're talking about the fix to the Blake decision. We'll give you a little background here, folks. So a couple of years ago, 2021, there was a case involving Shannon Blake. She was a woman, lived on the east side of the state over in Spokane. Police stopped her and said, hey, you've got some drugs on you. She said, wait, I borrowed these jeans. I didn't know there were drugs in there. So the state reviewed that case, went all the way up to the Supreme Court. It turned into a situation where she not only won the case, but the Supreme Court at the time said, wait a minute, this whole idea of drug possession being a felony, that's unconstitutional. That's an unconstitutional search of this woman's person here. We can't have this. So they basically invalidated our state's law for drug possession, a felony there. So at that time in 2021, the legislature said, okay, we got to do something here. We're going to turn this into a misdemeanor, but in two years time, we got to revisit this and make sure we have some really good rules in place to make sure we figure out what's going on with drug possession, treatment, et cetera. So that's a big issue here. And so here we are in 2023, this was supposed to be the year they were going to put together some sort of fix for this Blake situation. And so what they did was initially they said, all right, there's going to be a misdemeanor. That's what they said in the House, went over to the Senate and they're like, wait a minute, we need to ramp this up to a gross misdemeanor, a few more penalties for people involved with drugs here. It went back to the House and they said, no, we really want to bring this down to a misdemeanor. 
lot of back and forth, a lot of fighting over the last couple of weeks or so. And then at the very end of the session, they came out with the bill, the House did, that was actually a gross misdemeanor, but they had unfortunately alienated so many people within both parties that Democrats voted against it and all the Republicans voted against it, even some of the ones who had voted for it beforehand. So we got a mess on our hands because by July 1st of this year, we're basically reverting to a situation where there are no laws controlling drug possession in this state. Now, some people might say that's a great idea. We shouldn't be criminalizing drug possession at all. But there are a number of people, including people in the House and Senate and the governor, too, who are saying, wait a minute, we have to figure out some way to at least interact with these people to bring them into a system for treatment. That's what they were trying to work on with this Blake fix here. And if we don't do that, if we don't have law enforcement involved, at least somehow, then we're really lost here. So I'm not quite sure what they're going to do with this. They might have a special session to try to fix this somehow. But I got to say, they've been arguing about it for 105 days. Will a special session fix that? I'm not sure. I just know that by July 1st, basically it turns into a situation where we're legalizing drugs in the state of Washington, and I don't think anybody wants that. Super confusing, I know, but that's the background on what's up. Well, there is so much here yeah. that I can really discuss, yeah. Brian. I mean, number one, I don't know if this is balancing the scales a bit. I mean, clearly the war on drugs has not been affected. No. It has not worked. It, it worked in a certain regard to target specific demographics, yeah. which we know black folks, those are the global majority, yeah. have been the most impacted by the war on drugs. Absolutely. But ultimately, it did. I mean, if that's what it was supposed to do, fine. People say, no, it does <laughs> right. what it was supposed to do. Yeah. But we see now with the opioid crisis and all these other things, how people are, you know, it's hitting all kinds of demographics mm -hmm. and all types of communities and ethnic groups. And so now the idea of they're not really being able to to decide on this, yeah. I'm not really surprised by that because yeah. it's hitting families in different ways. And now people are bringing their lived experience mm -hmm. and it's not just something they can objectively decide on. Yeah. So there's a whole lot to do with this. And I, I mean, Folks can say criminalization, it doesn't, it doesn't mm -hmm. work. I yeah, mean, yeah. if someone has an addiction issue, right. we still need to be talking about how we fix the issue yeah. that they have, not so much that the, the method of how they're choosing to deal with the yeah, issue. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. It's just trying to figure out some way to interact with these people. Some of them are committing crimes. Some of yeah. them are dealing drugs. So how do you separate that out? In the city of Seattle, we're undergoing that process right now. Bruce Harrell was talking about this with his downtown revitalization plan not too long ago. We're going to crack down the people who are dealing the drugs, and we're going to try to help the people who are using the drugs. The state's trying to do the same thing. It's just the method with which we're trying to bring these people into some kind of system to get them some kind of help. Maybe it is down the criminal path. Maybe we do need to administer some penalties there. But also with this treatment path, I, I got to take a quick sidebar here because as much as the state wants to do this, make sure that people get into treatment. Do we even have those treatment beds for those people? Do we even have the people that we can hire on to do those kind of jobs for social work, et cetera, that can help these people through their addiction processes? I'm not quite sure on that part either. So the state is in a real bind here. And I hear exactly what you're saying. The war on drugs has failed. You're here, you, you will hear people from both parties say that. However, they're looking at a situation right now. And I think the fentanyl crisis is a big one. Certainly King County's looking at right in the face. The overdose deaths have just skyrocketed over the past several years here. So they have a problem glaring, looking them right in the face. And I'm just wondering what they're going to do. It may turn into a situation, Trey, where, and this is a little interesting, but it may turn into a situation where different cities will kind of take on their own laws, right? Okay, we want to handle drugs this way. Up in Bellingham, they have an interesting situation where they just passed a law that said, okay, 
possession. We're not going to criminalize that. But if we catch you using out on the street, then guess what? That is a misdemeanor. We are going to bring you in and all that kind of stuff. So I'm not quite sure what that's going to mean if different cities and counties do their own thing, make kind of a patchwork, as it's called, of different laws all around the state. But I don't think that's a positive thing, at least from what our state's trying to do here. And if we are trying to get to this level of actually helping people, I don't think having separate cities do their own thing is the right way. So I'm really interested to see what the what the state legislature will do here. It really did sound like on Sunday when the session finished that the governor would call for some sort of session, a special session to continue this conversation. However, he even said in his press conference, we need the votes and he's counting them right now and trying to figure out, OK, what do we really need to get down to here? Because this last measure, the last version of the bill that they came up with. Basically, lawmakers had about 24 hours or so to review it, which happens at the end of the session sometime. But you would think with an issue this big that they had 105 days to work on that it wouldn't come down to that last day. But yeah. it really did. And I think that really doomed this measure, unfortunately. Well, it says a lot about kind of the, the house, of, yeah. you know, the, the, what we're dealing with mm -hmm. really in our legislator. It says a lot about how that house, yeah. you know, I mean, I don't yeah. mean house in yeah. terms of house, but how that house is yeah. really working, Capital H. whether yeah. Yeah, yeah, whether it's working together yeah. or folks are working against each other. And I yeah. will say, I'll answer it for you. There definitely isn't enough beds, right, yeah. to right. deal with folks. Right, right, I mean, right. this is what we're talking about. Even when we talk about our unhoused population, yeah. oftentimes what we are seeing is that there's a need for us to have the right amount of resources. Yeah. And this is why a lot of folks are pushing that issue because mm -hmm. we don't have the resources. Yep. We don't have the beds. We don't have the infrastructure yeah. to honestly deal with addiction issues as yeah. high as it is. And when we talk about fentanyl, yeah. I mean, we're talking uh, about the statistics showed 350 percent increase yeah. in fentanyl overdoses. Yeah. I mean, this is insane. One of the things I will say about breaking it up between cities yeah. is that sometimes what you can get is a uh, uh, proof of concept, yeah. something that works somewhere else yeah. that people are then able to say, okay, wait a minute, it's working in Bellingham yeah, to do yeah, it yeah, that yeah, way. Yeah. Maybe we can adopt that as a state. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Let's look at what other states are doing. We yeah. know Oregon has a very unique way that they're dealing they with sure drug do. possession, yeah. you know, and, and decriminalizing mm -hmm. use of drugs and things like this. What's working there? Yeah. What does the data show? Yeah. Uh, yeah. There, there's some things that we can glean from taking mm -hmm. maybe some of these isolated other approaches. Yeah. Although you are right, it's not a solution in the long term. No. Uh, what else are y'all talking about tonight? Well, I, I think it's a it's a good segue into I just want to take a quick sidebar when we talk about people doing things locally. I did want to point out that it really looks like this measure that King County was voting on. King County residents working on these five crisis care centers or property yeah. tax levy to, yeah. to work on that. It looks like that measure is going to pass. So I do think just to kind of follow up on your point here, I think a lot of people are eager to invest some resources, even tax themselves a little bit more to try to figure out where uh, where they can put some money to actually make a difference in here. Building new crisis care centers, actually using existing buildings in some cases for crisis care centers is gonna be a big step towards that. We didn't cover that in this week's show, we covered it in the last one, but I do wanna point out that that did happen. That's a big, big vote for King County. Well, let me just say, uh, honestly, this is a huge idea. The fact that we don't have that, yeah, yeah. that was, I think, you know, shout out to council, King County Council Member Gurmai Zahalai yeah. for really pushing this forward, honestly, yeah. because the fact that we don't 
even have that already, I think was really like, oh, no, it doesn't exist. Yeah, yeah. So again, we need to build the infrastructure if we're really going to be putting yeah. resources into caring for people. And yeah. that's definitely one way to do it. I was yeah. going to mention it too, so I'm glad you yeah, did, Brian. No, no, I'm glad. And it, and it dovetails into something else we're talking about the, on the show tonight, which is something the city of Seattle is working on. They're working on a resolution such that they're basically saying, okay, our people who are working in human services out there, this was something covered in committee, the Public Safety and Human Services Committee this week. They were looking at this and they're saying, okay, we're going to put a resolution in place that says we are going to increase the pay of these folks out here. Because, again, this issue of how much are people getting paid in this industry, they walk off the job, this report says, they instantly get a 7% increase in their pay just walking to another job. The difference between a professional at the nonprofit level, essentially working in one of these social social work situations, there's a 36% difference between what somebody else comparable might be working in another industry there. So they're trying to bring up those numbers, but I think this is a part of the challenge too here, Trey. There's an economic piece to this as well. As much as we want to build these things overnight, you know, that's not going to happen. That's going right. to take some time. As much as we want to staff these places overnight, that's going to take some time too. So I guess this is tying it all together. You're seeing some struggles at the state level. You're definitely seeing some issues at the county level. Hopefully some good news with these crisis care centers. And you're seeing some effort at the city level too, where they're saying, all right, let's remember everybody, people got to get paid here too. I should point out in the crisis care levy uh, also with that, not only is there money for the building and uh, maintaining of these different structures here, these, these crisis care centers, there are some dollars in there to try to bump up the pay of people getting involved too. Cause that's, mm -hmm. that's a huge part of this equation for sure. It really is. And, and if we're being honest here, I mean, you know, talking to folks over at public health, King County public yeah. health in particular, you know, the burnout is real. Yeah, I mean, yeah. they're dealing with so many different, mm -hmm. uh, you know, fractions coming their way, different elements with mm -hmm. COVID. They were the ones that were hit so yep. hard with it too, yeah. trying to stay on the job. It's trying to be positive as multiple people are dying yeah. and they're trying to figure out what to do. There's yeah. a real serious issue here with burnout. Yeah. And so how that's being worked on in terms of the care of this staff yeah. and employees in these areas is really going to be key to this as well. Yeah. I think there is a lot to consider. If you want to think about the longevity of this, yeah. you definitely have to think right? exactly exactly you have to think about how folks are being cared for y'all are always on point brian yeah. thanks so much for being here make yeah. sure folks look right there let them know how they tap in with you tonight for seattle news views and brews well make sure you check out seattle news views and brews right here on converge tonight at seven o'clock if you want to contact me do it up at Callanan Seattle is the best way to find me on Twitter and a few other platforms too. Trey, always a good time being here. Always, Brian. Thanks so much, man. Thank you. All right, y'all. I'm telling you, it's Wise Wednesday. We're learning here today. Uh, we're going to continue learning right after this short break because I get to chop it up with Anthony Austin. Stay tuned, y'all. You're watching The Day with Trey. COVID-19 are my income, my health, and my family. We were about to lose our home when we heard we might be eligible for homeowner assistance funds from the government. We called 1-877-894-HOME and a housing counselor stepped in. They talked to our lender and saved our home because falling on hard times does not have to mean losing your home. Federal funding details at WashingtonHAF.org. 
What's up, everybody? You know, me and Besa, my girl, we had to pull up to Market Street Shoes once again, y'all. And you know, we do this every season. We have to get the new shoes, the new boots. And this time, I even got a coat. Yeah, no, you did walk in without a coat. I really I'm did. glad you found one. But their boots were on point. Yes, the boots, the bags. I even grabbed a flannel. Yeah, you did. You know, and I was able to get some hats and everything. I was really impressed. And you know, I was impressed because, of course, I got those white boots that yeah. you guys see me wearing everywhere these days. Yeah, no, I, I look at your white boots and I'm like, darn it, they only have one pair. Me and Basie wear the same size. Of course, every time we walk out with several bags in hand. Several bags and sometimes even a backpack, you guys. Make sure you check out Market Street Shoes. Yeah, please check them out. where they go, Basa? Ooh, 2232 Northwest Market Street, Seattle, Washington. Welcome back, everyone, to The Day with Trey. I'm your host, Trey Holiday, and joining me right now is Anthony Austin. He's coming through from Southeast Youth and Family Services. What's up, Anthony? How are you? How are you doing, Trey? Good to be here. I'm great. Thank you so much for joining me today. Well, I want to learn all about it, but first, I always love to ask about you. Before we talk about the organization, what brought you into this line of work? You got enough time. Um, <laughs> what brought- the, the short version. The short version. <laughs> Um, the short version is uh, just having a heart for children in our community, uh, wanting to see them thrive, wanting to see them uh, grow up to be adults. Um, I started out as an educator, uh, look, you know, working with children, and I really got frustrated seeing kids have um, issues that they were dealing with at home and then struggling coming to school and trying to learn. So I switched gears, went into the uh, human service field and just started working with family and children and wanting to see them thrive and do better with themselves. Well, that's really great to hear. I mean, we need services like that for sure, uh, particularly ones that are focusing on not just the youth, but the family as well, because we understand there's a lot of family dynamics that happen at home that then kids bring into the educational Absolutely. environments. Yep. Tell us more about the work that y'all do over there. What we do at Southeast, uh, we do behavioral health services. We do uh, early childhood education, youth development, um, all sorts of things where we're supporting families. During COVID, we were doing uh, rental assistance. We were doing food food security for people. So we just try to provide, um, just try to fill in the gaps where we can for, for whatever the community may need or want. Yeah. Well, this is really uh, the heart of service, right? I mean, you have to be able to have that in order to do this line of work, knowing that there's an insurmountable amount sometimes of work. Uh, how do you deal with that balance there, Anthony? It's the passion, you know, um, like you said, it's the heart, you know, and, and you find your balance when you find your passion, you know, and I'm passionate about this work. Staff is passionate about the work. Um, we love what we do. And, you know, we're here for it, you know, and um, family is also another way to get balance, you know, um, having a strong family around you um, that keeps you going. Um, friends in, in the community keep you going. So um, it's it's all about the passion, having some family and really wanting to see the community thrive. Yeah, uh, that's important. What, what kind of ways do y'all get out there to connect with families? Um, you know, we're out there connecting with uh, young families via, you know, just at the parks. Um, if we see them at a farmer's market, we're connecting with families. Uh, walking past our building, we're connecting with families, um, you know, connecting, you know, a lot of, you know, it's funny, a lot of times families connect, con- are connecting us with other families. Nice. Um, that's that. And I find, and I find that to be a real testament of the work that we do is that for another family to refer us to other families 
in the community, especially when we're working with um, immigrant or refugee or first settler families mm -hmm. where, you know, they find us to be a trusted partner enough to connect us with another family that is in the same situation they're in. Well, I th also think, too, it must really speak volumes to the services you all provide for folks to really feel that you're coming from a good place, right? I mean, you know, uh, I, we talk about this in terms of governmental systems. You think about stuff like DSHS and things like that, but it's so uh, not personable, right? It's not relational. It's very transactional. And people go in and they feel exposed and they have to be vulnerable and they have to share so much about themselves. And, um, and I'm sure y'all take a different approach. Tell us a bit about that too, about, you know, the approach that you take as a family's first coming into you, uh, to your service to your organization, what does that intake look like for them? So the intake is, um, you know, you first of all, there'll be a referral from either a school, a family member, or they may even walk in themselves, right? And so uh, they'll meet with one of our intake counselors. But where the real magic for us happens at, is what you're talking about, that personal connection, is that one of our pillars in, within our organization is a cultural match or linguistic match. So like I said earlier, we serve a lot of first settlers to this community. And um, we match them with someone that looks like them, mm. that speaks like them. Um, so if we're serving an Ethiopian family, they'll get an Ethiopian counselor. They'll get an Ethiopian home visitor, someone that you are you you're, you see yourself in them. Your kids can see them. Um, you'll open the door. Um, it's really it's really the bonding that happens. Right. And that's how we're able to continue to serve the community. Um, we got a program where we're serving ch um, young children for two years. And could you imagine the trust that that family has in us to let them in their home for two years? Yeah. You know, twice a week, this person's coming into my home. And so there has to be something other than the, the book or toy that we bring that really has these family opening the door for us. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're really talking about a culturally responsive approach to the work, which we know doesn't always exist because oftentimes there's a very wide blanket right? Like a wide net that's cast that people are like, this doesn't, I mean, this doesn't suit me. Right. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. But, but you, you know, a lot of families find themselves in need. And so they deal with whatever those parameters look like. And I love really hearing this. I mean, this means that you have done the work to have a diverse set of staff. I mean, as you have been building this up, you know, as, as you leading this charge, what does that look like for you in terms of getting the right people to be staff? for for your organization a lot of patience yeah. you know um, you know we, we, we again we're really relying on the community to even refer employees to us right um we want to create an opportunity for people um we lower the boundaries you know the barriers so that people can come into work right um you know having a second language is a skill yeah right and so sometimes that's not really honored in a lot of places and so we honor that. I think we have uh, within our organization uh, five different, we speak five or six different languages within nice. our organization. So uh, we're really intentional about who we hire, who we hire and how we hire. Um, we really want to be fair. We really want to be open and, and encourage everyone to, uh, to apply for jobs and things like that. But ultimately it's because we want to do a good job for our families. Well, that's really clear here, Anthony. And I mean, it's it's speaking volumes because I think that this is what we need in our city, uh, in cities uh, all over the state. We need these kinds of approaches. I'm always talking about the fact that in communities, 
the solutions are already there, right? It's just a matter of resourcing those solutions and organizations so that they have sustainability, so that they can continue to do their work and they can scale up their impact, mm-hmm. right? That's really the key here. Um, and we know, you know, nonprofit can be exhaustive grant writing and trying to connect with foundations and funders and investors. That's a whole work. And I'm sure that's also on your shoulders. Uh, what type of uh, ways do you find yourself in that realm of the work? Um, you know, that's the hard part about the job, right? That's like you said, that's not that's the fun part is getting the money. But, you know, going after um, trying to get, be in front of people, that, that's difficult. And, and that's the struggle because. I really want to spend my time working with families. I really want to spend my time building our organization to serve families. But uh, when it comes to writing grants, uh, meeting with funders and things like that, and, and, and getting a chance to share our story, share some stories of our successes, um, and even share the stories of our challenges, mm. right? And just so people can hear and know, um, you, you kind of take on an education kind of advocacy um, put on your advocacy hat and, yeah. and, and letting get, letting people be aware of what's going on out here. Because if you don't know, you don't know. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it's up, it's up to us as nonprofits to continue to educate the community um, about some of the things that we, we all have our own lives. We all have, we're busy. We have things going on, but sometimes we want to stop and, you know, read a newsletter that says, Hey, people out here are doing good things. Yeah. You know, there's families out here really growing and thriving and, and being sustainable. You know, that's kind of, um, in our mission, we have three S's, um, stability, sustainability, and um, oh, I'm missing the last one, but mm-hmm. basically being, you know, being uh, self-sufficient yeah. and, and being able to stand up on your own and, 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 and find community within, within what you're doing and, and have community and be a part of community. Well, you know, just when you first started explaining it, this is exactly what community building looks like, right? I mean, this is providing an opportunity for families to not just connect with your organization, but to also connect with each other. And as you said, you know, families are impacted in a positive way by the services y'all are offering them. So they're bringing more families in. I mean, that that level right there of just kind of that word of mouth and how yes. it works and how it spreads in our communities is so key. But also, too, I just want to give you kudos because my mother spent decades, it seems like. I mean, maybe it was just 15 years, almost 20 years working as a family support worker in the schools, Seattle Public Schools. And what you're describing to me is what they like. She would be there for the families, whatever they needed. Right. And she was one of those family support workers that didn't say, oh, that's not my job or that's not in my job description. Mm-hmm, I'm not doing mm-hmm. that. She was like, what do my people need? Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. that's really what it sounds like y'all are doing. So kudos to you for really filling the void because family support worker program funding got cut, right? So they had to start pulling them out of schools. And we see that there's oftentimes a a, a community-based solution that steps up to fill the void. And so just uh, really appreciate the work you're doing out here. And of course, you know, anytime y'all have an event going on or anything you want to share, the Day with Trey is here for you. You know, we'll be part of the Southeast Youth and Family Services family as well. And you are part of the Day with Trey family. I want you to look right there. Make sure folks know how they can connect with you and tap in if they are looking for services and resources or if they're looking maybe to be one of those new staff folks on your team let Absolutely. them know how they find you hey this is anthony Otto from southeast youth and family services um if you're looking to connect with services 
Um, if you're looking for employment, um, go to our website, www.seyfs.org um, and come be a part of our family. Um, everyone is family. Uh, we are a family uh, centered organization. And um, thank you for having me. Of course, Anthony. Great work, man. Thank you for being here. Thank you very much. Ooh, y'all, I'm telling you, inspiring indeed. Of course it is. I'll get to wrap all this inspiration up right after this short break, y'all. Stay tuned. You're watching The Day with Trey. Welcome back, everyone, to The Day with Trey. I'm your host, Trey Holiday, and I got to say, what an amazing episode today. It's always great to have a wise word from Brian Callanan. Make sure you tap into tonight's episode of Seattle News Views and Brews right here on Converge Media at 7 p.m. Always great to connect with him, hear what's going on. You know, Brian and I can get into these political discussions and get deep, so I'm so glad that he was able to join me today. And, of course, I want to give a huge shout-out to Anthony Austin from Southeast Youth and Family. Family services. Make sure y'all tap in with that organization. If you're looking to get some services or know of a family, uh, refer them because they are doing a culturally responsive approach that's so necessary in Southeast area. And I'm grateful that he came here and shared his reason for, you know, leading the charge uh, with this organization and why these uh, so services are so important. Uh, we all know that families need someone who can speak their language, come from their same culture. There's something so special about that relational approach. So shout out to him. And I was inspired. I'm always inspired, y'all. But I want y'all to be inspired. Take these stories in. You know, share this stream with folks that you feel could benefit from this daily dose of dopeness, of course. But also when you hear these stories, think about how you and your brilliance can add to them. Uh, when we all tap in to this world, we make it a better world, y'all. So be inspired to see yourself as a part of the solution. And for me, until tomorrow at 11 a.m., Peace. Converge Media produces culturally relevant content for black and urban audiences. Our coverage is raw, transparent, and objective, praised by community leaders, government officials, and residents. Support Converge Media today via Venmo, Cash App, or PayPal at Converge Media.